Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Good morning, everyone. So good to be uh, with you all this morning, whether you're in the room or online. It's just so good to be able to come together as God's people. And my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met yet, if you're new, I'd love to have the chance to meet you. Uh, so come say hi, uh, whether you want to send me an email or say hi in person, doesn't matter. But today we're finishing off our series uh, in the book of James. We're doing James chapter 5. And as I was thinking about, you know, a good illustration or story to, to start the sermon, um, I thought, I just don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore. Uh, and because of the pandemic, I've just been hanging out with my kids so much, I really don't want to talk about them anymore, and don't want to talk about any correlation between the pandemic and children. So I thought we'd just jump straight into the text today. Uh, and James starts to talk about planning. Exciting. Who, didn't, who thought that James wasn't going to be very practical from the get-go? But I have been dreaming about the chance to do things again, have you? I cannot wait to get on a plane and go back to Malaysia and to visit some people and some places that I just absolutely love and just wanted to plan and map those things out. I've got dreams and plans for doing all sorts of things, for more study and then stuff with our family. There's all sorts of things I'd like to do. But as we open up this last section of James, he jumps straight in. He's pretty blunt. If you haven't realized that he's been blunt so far, uh, you're going to pick up on it today. And of, interestingly enough, of all places to start, he starts with planning. So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, whether it's uh, digital or in paper form, turn it on, open it up. Let's go to actually James chapter 4. We're going to finish off the last bit of chapter 4 uh, in verse 13. James writes this, Come now, he says, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You'll notice that we wish James was a little more blunt and to the point about what he has to say. I don't know if you picked up on that at all. If you plan outside the Lord's plans, outside his purposes for you, it's pointless. In fact, James wants to know it's not just pointless, it's sinful. Ouch. Uh-oh. Whoops. What's going to happen next? Let's not get mixed up with what James is trying to say here. It's not bad to be a business person. It's not bad to to be thoughtful in what we do and how we do it. But is our thinking, is our motivation, is our entire way of looking at the world, is it based in waiting and hearing from the Lord? Or do we think, "Uh, I know what I'll do and I know how I'll do it. Because if it doesn't start with that, if it's not what God wants, It's arrogance to pursue it. It's sin. And if you think this is the hardest bit, don't worry, James is going to make it a little bit more uncomfortable in just a second. 
So if you're like, uh uh-oh, then just roll with me, we'll get better. But I was just reflecting on that, and it's like, ouch. How much of our lives, how much of our daily activity, how much of what we do starts with God's plans or what I think I should do? I love the way that James says it. You say you go to such and such a town and this or that time. It's like, it ain't gonna matter what you're doing. If it doesn't begin with the Lord, what are we doing? I don't know if it's still a thing, but I remember coming through kind of my uni years uh, and being in church, there was always that person, you probably know that person, who was like, they prayed about everything. God, I don't know which brand of butter to buy, so I will stand in front of the dairy case and I will wait. You know that person, right? Uh, I don't know which of the two ways to go to work today I should drive, so I'm just going to wait here in the driveway until I get clarity. You know what I'm saying, right? If you don't know that person, it may have been you. Great. Uh, I I love that at a level, but it seems entirely impractical to me. But there's something that I think James wants us to know. It it actually doesn't matter whether you pray in front of the dairy case. It doesn't really matter. James wants us to stop and think about the fact that we just don't know. We didn't know what was coming. We don't know what's in front of us. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And it would be silly to think that we can predict the future. James warns us time and time again in his letter, don't be arrogant, don't be boastful, don't be double-minded, don't be full of conceit, don't do things that don't look and sound and feel and taste and smell like God. So James starts with a simple lesson which I think frames this whole chapter and in fact, really, is the, the core message of, of Scripture. Trust God, not your own plans. As Proverbs 3, 5 says, you know, lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord. So James starts with an invitation and a reminder, kind of couched in the negative, trust in the Lord. And then he launches into chapter 5. Let's read the first uh, six verses of chapter five. Brace yourself. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Couldn't think of anything funny to try and break the tension because I think James doesn't want it to be funny. He wants it to be uncomfortable. It's like he's been building and building and building and he's been pointing out all of the stuff that's going on and and right at this kind of, the the penultimate section of his letter before it, it jumps into some really practical ways then to express what he's been getting at, he really lays it on thick. He makes it very clear. What's confusing about this section though for me as I was reading and preparing is that we, kind of, we, we have 
worked out, and, and the previous messages in the series have really highlighted the fact that James is writing to believers, to Christians, to not kind of uh, just you know, Jewish people, and we're going to put a veneer of Jesus over the top. These are, these are Christian believers, full of the Holy Spirit, walking out the life of Jesus in their daily walk. And so when we get to this bit, it doesn't seem to fit. See, in all the other sections, when James brings a correction to his people, there's a, on, on behalf of the Lord, there's, a, there's an opportunity for them to respond. As Pastor Nick talked about last week, and in the midst of all of the things that James is correcting, it says, so then, cleanse your hands, you sinners. He, he makes it really clear that this is how we come back into relationship. But he doesn't say that here. There's no way for the, the person that he's addressing here to come back pretty much just says, weep, miseries are coming upon you. So who's James talking to? What's the point he's trying to make? Well, let's look at it another way. James is writing uh, to a group of people in another time, some 2,000 years ago-ish. They're in another land, they have a different culture around them. They have a, a set of things that are specifically an issue for them. And the Holy Spirit inspires James to write to these people, but in his infinite wisdom and perspective, he knows that this will speak to us too. So how do we find ourselves in this? Are we the rich? Are you and I the rich? Are you sitting in this nice building rich? Are you who's streaming this on your device, rich? Well, you may or may not know this, the statistics. I thought I'd do a little bit of research. If you earn $150 a day or more, that's if you're earning $19 an hour, approximately $39,000, $40,000 a year, you're pretty much tapping into the top 1% globally. You're definitely in the top five or so. So, and when James says to the rich, miseries are coming upon you. In fact, your wealth, it's not just that you can't take it with you when you go, there's a very good chance that it might take you down. Like down, down. Like to the place that no one wants to go. I've been wrestling with this, because what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in, in 2022? It seems weird to say that. We're living in the future. In this time and in this place where we have so much resource in the western suburbs of Brisbane, in the western world, even in the, in the worst scenarios for many of us, we still have so much. We've, in our family, we've just finally replaced our fridge after 21 years. We got it when we got married. And it's lasted through all of those years with four kids. <laughs> it's a very small fridge. And a new fridge has like a water thing on the front, which is like the dream. <laughs> and I've been trying to explain to my kids, you know, like one in four people in the world can't even get clean water. Do you know that for us to have this, it's a luxury. Like this is, this is like something else, and, and for so many of us, we just don't even realize the, the water that we swim in, the, the environment that we live in, that we are so rich. And James has already said, you need to trust in God, not in your own capacity, and, and he just ups it. 
If your means are your security, if your ability to earn is what keeps you warm at night, if your, if your stuff around you is what defines you, then it's gonna define you. And it's not gonna define you in. You're gonna find yourself somewhere else. And that's a challenge. James keeps kind of taking the teachings of Jesus that we see in the Gospels and kind of not only applying them really specifically and practically, but almost kind of like one-upping them, like going, you know, like Jesus said, you know, you heard don't murder, or I tell you if you hate someone in your heart, it's like murder. It's like James going, yeah, and then this is what's going to happen if you do that. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. James says if you serve the wrong master, you'll end up damned. So what do we do? How do we navigate this? How do we hold these things in this tension? Because James is throwing around all sorts of language here. It's somewhat reminiscent of of the the rich man and Lazarus in Jesus' words in, in Luke 12. It's reminiscent of Ecclesiastes with the immediacy of life and the almost the how short things are and what's really important. James is really, really trying to draw our attention. How we treat others and how we steward our resource is actually really important. If what we do puts someone else at a disadvantage, what does God really feel about that? If the unethical treatment of people benefits us, James says that those dollars that you saved scream out from your bank account. If it's by fraud, or if it's by dishonesty, or if it's withholding things that people deserve, what does that look like? But I don't run a business, I hear you say. Phew, off the hook. I'm not withholding my employees' wages. I don't even have employees. (laughs) Phew. But James, I think, wants to draw out a single point when it comes to those who have means and those who are able. I think it's this. If you put your focus on anything other than Jesus including your wealth, you're fattening yourself for the slaughter, he says. You haven't noticed the times that you're living in. As James loves to point out, it means you're proud. And humility is the only solution. Because the big deal in James, as we've talked about every week, every week, is that James is about faith in action. So if Jesus really is Lord and our faith is put in him, then we follow his values, we follow his actions, we live his way, and that looks like something in our lives. And if our Lord was humble enough to humble himself to die on a cross, if he was humble enough to go to the people who are the least and the last, to the, to the unloved people, if he went to the rich and the powerful and said, hey, this isn't what God planned, How much more does James remind us to live that way? Because James links it to the next passage. In verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. This is therefore, and we know that when a passage starts with therefore, we ask ourselves, what's it? Therefore, great, some of you got it. When we read it, therefore, we go, well, why is it there? What's it there for? Because what is just said helps us understand what he's about to say. So, so, people who need to trust God and not their own means, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord, because he is coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. It's good advice. Because behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Growing up in church, I'd hear those kind of phrases. The Lord is coming. Jesus is going to return. And I would freak out. So I'm like, I don't know if I've got my affairs in order. I don't know what that's going to mean. But the more that Jesus reveals himself to us, the more that should strike hope and joy and excitement because our Lord is returning. I love that James says, look, don't trust in this. Don't be the people who trust in this. Trust in Jesus because he will be faithful to his promise. His promise was that he will be back. And he will restore and he will resurrect and refresh and rebuild and recreate and he will set everything right. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters. Don't lose hope. Don't get distracted by the things of this world, but fix your eyes upon Jesus. What a message for today. What a message in the midst of where we find ourselves that we can lose hope, we can put our comfort and our faith and our, all of our emphasis and affection on the things of this world because we just want to medicate ourselves in this moment. But James says, brothers and sisters, be patient. Be steadfast. Look to the examples of the prophets, those who came before, who didn't see the fulfillment, it says in Hebrews, that they didn't see the fruit of what the Lord had promised, yet they remained steadfast because they knew that God was trustworthy. James reminds us, trust in him because his promises are firm and faithful. This is not the time to be complacent. It's not the time to be distracted. It's not the time to to fix our eyes on hollow, deceptive myths and controversies or wives' tales, carefully devised stories that don't bear out the truth. What a moment. But we of all people in the whole world, we are the ones with the hope and the promise. We are the ones with the certainty that the future contains Christ. The future is about Christ and we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit to remind us that he's coming back and that what we all thought would happen at the end, Jesus did in the middle of history to show us that he's faithful to his word. So we don't need to be distracted. We don't need to lose heart. We don't need to worry. We can establish our hearts in Jesus. I love that James reminds us here in the midst of Possibly the harshest rebuke. Weep, mourn, your clothes are like rotten things, your your wealth is destroying you, but remember God is compassionate and merciful. It's like his book ending with the first part of chapter one. I love the, my favorite verse in James is in chapter one where it says, every good thing comes from our God in heaven, the father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. He's consistent. He's, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's loving and compassionate. This is the God that is the alternative to all the brokenness of the world. 
James, I think, tells us don't bank on what you have. Bank on who he is, who Jesus is. He's merciful and loving. If it's a good gift, it's from God. If it's not a good gift, it's not from God. If it feels like despair and hopelessness, if it feels like depression and anxiety, if it feels like cancer and sickness, it's not a good gift, it's not from God. And James starts to unpack what it looks like for God's people to find God in the midst of all of these things. James throws a little proverb in before we get to the last kind of application part of his letter and he says, above all brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Again, riffing off the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, but I just love it. James is, is calling us to this life of integrity. Swearing an oath isn't actually the issue. Other places in Scripture tell us we're supposed to swear an oath. <laughs> but what James is saying is, as people of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, full of his Holy Spirit, we'll be people who carry integrity. We don't need to try and prove that we're trustworthy by swearing by something else, but our life lived in integrity will show that our word is our word. Jesus makes a difference in how we live our life. Faith in action produces godly fruit. And why that's important is it leads into the last little section that we have. If we don't need an external verification of our integrity, because we're always living it out, then when James talks about our faith on display, then we know that we can have confidence that God will hear and God will respond. Let's go to verse 13 of chapter five. Is any among you suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. Anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the earth gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. It's really interesting that James brings this up at the end. It's almost, it doesn't kind of make sense, but I think it continues in the flow that if we trust God, we see God's purposes played out. His plans come to fruition. But I love this, it's pretty simple. Are you suffering? Are your external circumstances getting you down? Pray, have a conversation with your creator. Are you cheerful? Is the internal work of the Holy Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Praise the Lord. I love it, it's really simple. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what's going on outside or inside, come to the Lord. Then he says, are you sick? Prayer. Prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. Such a simple instruction. No matter what's going on, turn to the Lord. I love, again, James is taking the teachings of Jesus and showing us how to do it. 
Jesus says in the Gospels, go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, uh, uh, tell people that the kingdom of God has come upon them. Raise the dead, he says. James says, so what that means is, when you're not well, pray. Ask God to do the thing that Jesus told us to do. (laughs) It's pretty simple. (laughs) And if we're a person of integrity, if our our yes is our yes, and if our our heart affection is set on Jesus, not on the things of this world, and if we're trusting him in our planning and in all our ways, then God is with us and we know what he is like and the work of his presence in us starts to come out. So James says, if you're sick, ask a mature believer who understands the spiritual truth of God's presence to come and pray that carries the conviction of God and a conviction that God is who God says he is and God will show up and demonstrate his promises and God will work in that person's life. And I love the way that James kind of riffs off a few things here. It's all the way through the Bible, actually, but I love that James is kind of like riffing off this word, you know, God will save the person. And that word for save means everything from physical healing to deliverance to emotional restoration and, and salvation for all eternity. God says, if you come and pray, God's going to do something in that and he's going he's to raise them up. Literally, as in they'll probably get up out of their sickbed, which is good. But God's going to lift them up. God's going to raise them up. He's going to bring them to know him. Because then James says, and if you've got sins as well, he'll forgive you those as well. God is working in everything that's going on. And, and James doesn't disconnect emotional and spiritual and physical. In, in the world that he lived and worked and ministered and followed Jesus in, there was no disconnect between the physical and the emotional, the spiritual. It's all one and God works in all of it. And God brings healing and restoration in all of it. Because God cares for us, body, mind, and spirit, and he works his healing and his saving power through the prayer of faith. It achieves much. I love that it's not one or the other when it comes to God's work in our lives. He cares about every part of us. We're not just a a spirit in a body that one day is going to set the spirit free that we're one creation and he cares about us entirely and when he sets everything right, we'll be with him physically, spiritually, emotionally. I think James is really just encouraging us to be Jesus-like, Christ-like in the way that we relate and connect with each other, that we'd be open, that we'd be authentic, that we'd be humble, that... We don't think that we've got it all together, but we actually just relate to people in a way that reflects the heart of Christ. And I I get the impression that James really, truly believes that if we believe in Jesus, that will overcome every other issue. Not in a simplistic way. Not in a, I'll just put the Jesus sticker over the top of my problem and it'll disappear magically. But Jesus has a solution to every problem that we face. And I think if you follow Jesus, either you know or you hope that to be true because why else will we do that? He says, confess your sins one to another. Confess your sins together. We know that it's freeing, it's liberating that a load comes off our shoulders when we go and and we confess sins to one another. I remember when I I first um, 
went through our streams courses way back. And they were a little bit different back then. And you'd, on the Saturday morning of the encounter weekend, you'd get paired up with someone and you'd make a big long list of all the things you've ever done wrong. And because James says it, you go into a, a space, just the two of you, and you just confess your sins to each other. I wasn't told it was a 30-minute exercise, and my friend and I, two and a half hours later when we got back, <laughs> we went through everything. We always have to be friends forever now, because we know too much about each other. <laughs> but there's power in that, because it doesn't own you anymore, and what you can't talk about owns you. And when we as a co- corporate community, as a, as a family, confess the things that we've missed and we've, we've, we've fallen short of, It liberates us, it frees us, it puts us back in relationship with God, it creates a space for him to do what he wants to do. We are unified in intimacy and so healing and life and salvation flows. Faith is sparked, passion comes to the fore. God's community starts to reflect God into the community. I love that James almost democratizes confession and healing and, and repentance and this, this faith community that we sit in. He says, yes, go to the elders if, if you're on your bed, but he says, actually, everyone just pray for each other. Because if you're righteous, if you're in right standing with God, then your prayers are effective and powerful. I, I didn't realize that healing prayer could be effective for a lot of my Christian walk until a mature believer who's in right standing with God came and demonstrated what it looked like to offer a prayer of faith to pray for someone who needed healing and God healed them. And it ignited a a faith in me that maybe God could do the same in my prayers. And it made me realize that it's not about me and my magical words and all of that. When I'm in right relationship with him, it becomes all about him. It's actually his power at work in his people to do his purposes. When James says, live out your faith, he says it has a tangible impact on the people around you. And not just in healing. It says right at the end of the letter in the last two verses, then my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from their wandering will save their soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God uses us. God wants to partner with us. Not because of anything other than he loves us. And in right relationship with him, he wants to use us. It's not about us, it's about him. As someone much wiser than me said, it's all about him. We just want to be the donkey he rides in on. We want to be the coin in his pocket for him to spend however he wants. I just want to be there when he's doing what he wants to do and he invites us to do it. So what does this look like for you and I? What does this look like in our lives? There's lots to do, there's lots to say. There's lots of activity. But I think really what James is calling us to do as Christians is to pick a side and stick with it. Is to pick a side and say, this is my side. Pastor Nick said really helpfully last week, as James says, don't say you pick God's side and then cheat on him with the world. If you're on God's side, you're on God's side. James is pretty blunt. I think Joshua actually puts it a little more elegantly. Choose this day who you will serve. 
And, and I think that is the crux, that if we say Jesus is Lord, we will follow him and we'll do the things he says. And James says, fruit, change, impact, evidence will be the result. So I'd like to pray for us now. There's a few things that I feel like the Lord wants to do today while we're here together, whether we're in, the, in person or online, I think there's some things that he wants to do. But first I'd love to pray for us. So would you stand to your feet? And it's actually a prayer that you need to, to pray. But I want to guide you in it. That I would not like for there to be the opportunity for you to leave this place today, to, to finish this service and to not have had the chance to respond to the Lord. Say, God, I choose you today. I choose your way. I, I choose to not have an affair with the world to be defined by my riches, but I choose you, Jesus. And I, I, maybe you have never had a relationship with Jesus, but maybe you're also part of this community. Maybe you believe him, you follow him, you have faith in him, but there's been stuff going on in your life where you've been wrestling with, am I really in this camp or this camp? Do I really believe in Jesus, but I want to keep my foot in the camp of the entertainment and the comfort and the medication of the world. Maybe today is just his invitation to go, which side are you on? Pick it and stick with it because fruit will come when you do. So bow your head however you need to. Close your eyes. Put aside the distractions. This is your time to, to speak with Jesus. Speak with the Lord. So Lord, we, we come as your, as your people. As the people that are called by your name. Today, God, we want to be honest with you. We need to we need to make a declaration in our hearts and in our minds about whom we will follow and whom we will serve, about whose example will be the model for our life. And so now I know Jesus for me. In all of my imperfection and struggles, I choose you today. I'll choose you again tomorrow and I'll choose you again the day after that because you've shown me that you are Lord. And Holy Spirit, I ask that for everyone who can hear my voice right now, whether they're on the couch at home or standing in this room or listening after, that you're inviting each one of us to choose you today. Holy Spirit, would you show us the love of the Father as revealed through Jesus the Son? If you, choose, if you choose Jesus today, if, if Jesus is the choice that you need to make with your life, then it's a simple prayer of response. It's just simply telling him to his face with no reservations, with the fullness of our heart, Jesus, I choose you today. I choose to follow you. I choose to put aside the things of this world and I choose to put my faith in you. God, I don't want the things of this world to define me, to destroy me, to defile me. Jesus, would you refresh me? Would you restore me? Would you save me today?
would you set me free? I choose you this day, Lord Jesus. If you prayed that in your own time, I just encourage you just to just to pray through the things that you have put in the place of him, just that act of repentance. God, I, I don't want to live that way and I put that aside and I turn to you. I just want to give you a moment to do that now, just to, to do some business with him. I believe we've got some more things to do, but I just want to give you just a 30 seconds or so just to, just to continue that prayer time with him. And if you finished, then would you just fix your affection upon him? Would you just put your mind on Jesus? Let's just take a moment to do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when we're in right standing with you as we've just done, and Lord, our prayers are powerful and there's much power in their working. So we thank you that you are powerful and able to forgive us, to restore us and to cleanse us. Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to worship him in just a moment, but it would be remiss to not take the opportunity to pray for those who need healing after James has just told us to pray for those who need healing. So we're going to do that today. So we've had some of our prayer and prophetic and intercessory teams just be praying for words of knowledge for healing. So I'm just going to read them out. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to, to just indicate that that's you. And the people around you, the, the righteous people whose prayers are effective and powerful and they're working, they're going to pray for you for healing. So we've got some simple words of knowledge that are, are, are all to do with physical healing. So if you have a pain in your big toe, either toe, you don't have to put your hand up yet. I'll, I'll just read them all out and then you can indicate if any of these are you. If you have a pain in your big toe, if you have an issue with your left wrist, if you have pain in your jaw for any reason, if you are suffering from dry eyes, if you have a headache at any level, just today or ongoing, if you have an issue in your ribs, if you have a problem from broken ribs on your left side, also if you have an issue with your sense of smell, I felt really strongly today that the Lord wants to do something with, with our sense of smell where it's been damaged and, and, and hurt and, and removed. So if, that's, if you have one of those things, would you be bold enough to just shoot your hand up in the air. Any one of those things. I see some hands over here. So one, two, three. There's some hands. This is great. Please be bold enough just to keep it up for a moment. And if you're sitting near one of these people, if you came with one of these people, I'd love you to go to that person now. And just when you get to that person and you're going to pray for that person, just you can tell them to take their hand down. But let's be a people of faith who will pray for those who need healing. There's a couple of people at the back here. I think there's someone in the middle here as well. If you just look around and look for someone whose hand is up and once you're with them, you can take your hand down, let them know. And I would love to invite you just to simply pray for healing. And it's a very simple prayer. And if you're not praying for someone, then you can just pray for those that you saw because I believe the Lord's gonna work in people's bodies. I saw someone get healed, a number of people get healed last week after the service, just because we invited people for prayer. So I just simply encourage you if you're praying for healing, to just ask them what is it they need healing for? What is it is the issue? And in Jesus' name, just speak to that and say, I, I just, in Jesus' name, ask that he would heal this issue. Just simple. 
and just pray and ask them how it is. Maybe have them test it out and ask again. And we're gonna worship. And if you didn't come with anyone and you need prayer, then our pastoral team and our, I'm gonna invite our elders to come forward as well. And, and anyone who's on our prayer team who's here today, they're gonna to come down the front in just a moment while we worship. And if you need healing for anything, if something wasn't on that list, I encourage you to come forward and we're gonna pray as well. So let's, let's spend a time of worship. Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. I'm gonna just quickly pray for those who are needing healing and then the worship team can pick up. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when we are in relationship with you, when we are working in your power and authority, when we know who you are, Jesus, and our heart is, is fixed on you, you hear our prayers, they're effective and your kingdom breaks in. So Lord Jesus, for everyone who needs healing in this room today and anyone who needs healing online, anyone who's in the lounge room right now with their hand in the air, I thank you, Lord, that you've highlighted that you wanna heal their bodies today. And in Jesus' name, I declare your healing power over them right now. Holy Spirit, would you set bodies straight? Would you restore nerves that are damaged? Would you, in Jesus' name, fix, restore, bring life back into bodies that are broken? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And all the people of the Lord said, amen. Continue to pray if you need to continue to pray. I invite you to come forward if you need healing and you're not with anyone or you just want to continue to pray for healing. If you have any needs for prayer, please feel free to come forward as we worship and finish our time together. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, Contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.